Do you ever know somebody who claimed to have joy, but you just weren't buying it? I, I mean, the kind of person who said all the right things about joy, that could repeat all of the biblical principles, but you just had to take their word for it because you couldn't see it. I think we all struggle with that sometimes. We say we have joy, but uh, what we mean is we, we should have joy, or we ought to have joy anyway. Uh, or we fall into the trap of thinking, I, I know I'm going to be happy one day, that means I have joy, right? Well, no, that's, you know, maybe happy later, but unhappy now, that's not really rejoicing. So I want to remind us that happiness happens today. I don't want to split hairs about technical definitions of joy and happiness and all of that, because sometimes that just gives us a loophole to say that we have joy when we really don't. I want to remind us that there really is a joyful perspective on the present. And so we can be happy today. Yes, even today. You see, right in this moment, we live in a world of trouble. The coronavirus uh, is pandemic and it can be scary. Uh, several states stay at home orders have got us cooped up, uh, severely restricted. They've cramped our style, really. Uh, a lot of school districts and families have had to learn to uh, do remote school. A lot of us have had to learn how to do remote jobs. And we all got a crash course in how to do a remote church. And I say crash course on purpose because I think all of the traffic online last week broke the internet during church times. But right now, everyone is inconvenienced. Many are financially impacted. Some are sick and some have died and some more will die. That's the troubled reality that we live in right now. The fact is we cannot do what we want. Uh, we're hindered, restricted. We're, we're bound by rules that hold us back from doing a lot of good things that we want to be doing. And so I want to talk a little bit about the trouble that Paul from the New Testament lived in. Now, my point is not to say, hey, look at Paul. He had it really, uh, you know, way worse than we did. So, hey, feel better. It, it's not that bad. No, it, that's not what I want to do. My point is to just show us that Paul knew what it meant to be restricted, to be bound. When he wanted to do so much more, there was a time in his life when he just couldn't. He was an apostle, a prophet of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was commissioned to take the gospel all over the world. And, and that's what he was doing. He traveled as a missionary, uh, a, a preacher. He, he traveled as an evangelist and a church planter. But then after uh, three very famous journeys uh, that Paul took in the New Testament, spreading the gospel, he decided to stop in Israel and help the, the people who were Christians at the church in Jerusalem. And there he was accused of crimes and he was arrested. In fact, he spent two years imprisoned in Caesarea during, during those that time. And yeah, he was able to plead his case to the governors there, but they listened, but they kept him in prison because they just wanted to keep peace you know, with the people there. And so after a couple of years of being in prison there, Paul decided to, uh, to appeal his case before Caesar. That was his right as a Roman citizen. And so they shipped him off uh, to Rome, and he spent another uh, two years in prison, really in house arrest there in Rome with imperial guards uh, for, for that time. And so here's this guy. He's used to traveling all over the world, spreading the gospel, preaching, teaching, starting churches. It was his calling. It was his passion. He was good at it. So you'd expect 
that being restricted and bound and imprisoned for uh, as much as four years, probably, probably more than that during that time, would have Paul really bummed out. But Paul, he reinterpreted the reality of his situation. In his letter to the believers at Philippi, he knew what they were thinking. They were thinking, oh man, this stinks. Oh, you know, this poor Paul, you know, he's, he's restricted, he's bound, he's in prison. He can't go preach the gospel and now people can't hear him preach the gospel. But look at what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the, belie- uh, most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul reinterpreted the reality of the situation. It's like he was saying, guys, rejoice. Adversity actually advances God's purposes. He looked at his circumstances this way. Because of what has happened to me, the gospel is spread to more people than it would have otherwise. It wasn't just that the gospel was spreading to more people. It was always going to do that. The gospel was now spreading because of Paul's imprisonment to people who would not have heard the gospel otherwise. For instance, he mentions the imperial guards, the praetorium. Later it says that, that, uh, that he's been able to interact with the household of Caesar. The, those people were not going to church. And so God, through Paul's imprisonment, sent him to those people. And further than that, you know, it's not just that because of Paul's imprisonment, the gospel was going, uh, was spreading to people who it wouldn't have otherwise. Because of Paul's uh, imprisonment, the gospel was being spread through people who would not have spoken otherwise. It wasn't just that the gospel was being preached by more, you know, powerful evangelists, preachers, real proclaimer types. That was going to happen anyway, but now the gospel was being spoken by people who had previously been fearful and were lacking in confidence. They were stepping up. Those people were becoming more bold because of Paul's situation, because of his testimony. And so Paul was rejoicing because he was seeing life through a different filter than other people were. His life was wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ, his Savior. His value, his goals, his ministry, his mission, his identity, they were all defined by Jesus. His relationship with Jesus and the advancement of Jesus and his gospel were what mattered most to him. So he did not see his trouble as a hindrance because Jesus was not hindered. He didn't see his chains as a prison because the gospel was not imprisoned. So what if we looked at life through the same filter that Paul did? Well, we would not gloss over harsh realities. We would not just make light of the fact that there's real hardship and real suffering out there. That's not what we're trying to do. That's not our perspective. We're not just saying get over it. We're saying there are hard realities. There's hardship and suffering out there. The point is, though, that we'd see that if Jesus is our Lord, if Jesus is our Savior, and and our aim is to know Him, to follow Him, to be defined by Him, 
then what would matter most to us is that Jesus isn't hindered by the coronavirus. The gospel is not imprisoned by stay-at-home orders, and it's definitely not bound by a volatile economy. In fact, we might even say that because of this troubled reality of this moment, the gospel will reach more people through more people. Now, we don't want to stay in difficult times forever. We don't, we're not looking for hardship. Don't misunderstand. We want our freedoms back. We want our ability to travel back. But at the same time, the love of Jesus is being shared in communities, in words, and in actions, differently than it would have otherwise. People who were fearful to engage directly with people about the gospel of Jesus Christ find themselves being a little bit more bold to invite people to online services or to share the gospel through social media, to email, uh, to check in on people that they care about. People whose schedules uh, were, were full, they're finding maybe they have a little bit more time to check in on family and friends and neighbors or maybe to do it at a little bit of a slower, more deliberate and intentional pace. Our communities are seeing churches come to meet their needs. And people who don't much like church and never go to church, well, some of them are tuning into online services for the first time to hear that Jesus is the answer to the world's problems and the sin that is in their own lives. That. Stuff like that. That's what makes us happy, even in these moments. I don't like dangerous pandemics and, and I don't want to be cooped up with no place to go. But like the Apostle Paul, when Christ is your life, happiness happens when he is honored. I want to pause right now for a little time out so we can have a family moment. We wouldn't normally do this during a message, but this is a different format. We'll see how it goes. And first of all, we're going to be out for a while from regular services here at the building. So let's keep in touch. If you've been a part of the Northfield family, you know how to stay in contact with your adult Bible fellowship, or maybe your deacon, or maybe your small group, a growth group, and, and you know how to do that. So let's stay in touch because we got to check in on each other, see how we're doing. Even if you know how you're doing, it's still a good idea to say, hey, I care, I miss you, let's stay in touch. If you're less familiar about those ways, but you still want to get in touch with the church office, we'll be glad to answer phone calls and emails during the regular office hours. Now, we're actually limiting the, the time that we're actually open while we're here, or even here at the building, but during regular off uh, hours during the week, we'll be glad to answer. We can, we can still get the phone calls and the emails, and we'll be able to get back to you with, that, with whatever you need to communicate to us or whatever information we can get to you. Also, if you're joining us uh, in this live time on Sunday morning during the 9.30 service or the 11 o'clock service, and you're wondering about that live prayer button, let me tell you a little bit about what happens when you pu push the live prayer button. Don't do it yet. Maybe you already have. But what that does is, is it informs one of the hosts, and right now the hosts are the pastors, it informs them that you would like to have a private conversation. And it opens a private chat screen so that you can have a little bit of conversation, which would lead to a prayer time just through typing in that chat screen with one of the pastors. That's what live prayer does. You can have a private uh, time to type out some requests and prayers with one of the pastors. But here's another life hack. If you're not sure about prayer, but you definitely have a spiritual conversation that you want to have with one of the pastors, either now or a little later or right after uh, we finish this service, 
uh, you can use that as well. We do want it to be used for prayer, but at the same time, if you say, hey, I want to know more about salvation, or hey, I need to talk about something, would you please follow up with me? Please use that live prayer button because that is your way to privately have a little chat with one of the pastors. Otherwise, feel free to keep chatting uh, in public with others as they come and as you go, or make a comment along the way. And third, it, again, it looks like we're going to be away from the church building, from having services here for uh, some time. It might be all of April or longer. We just don't know. We have no official statement on that. Uh, as always, though, we are dependent on your generous giving to meet the needs of the church. In the last couple of weeks, while we've been meeting uh, remotely, uh, the giving has gone down to about half of what the budgeted need is, and so that's a pretty big hit. And we understand that, hey, we didn't know what to do, but right now people are asking, how, how do we give? What are, what are the best ways to give? And you might think that our expenses have gone down because we're not meeting here, but that's just not the way that it works. It, you know, most of our expenses are pretty fixed because of the services that we, that we use. We pay for them whether we're meeting here or not. Um, of course, we still want to take care of our people and our missionaries. So most of the expenses are still pretty much where they were. We try to be careful, but that's the way that that goes. And so what's the best way to give right now? The best way to give right now is through online giving. Uh, if you're live with us at 9.30 or 11, there's the Donate button right there in the menu. If you're joining us later, uh, you would go to the Donate tab in the menu at northfieldbaptist.org. Either way, those are the best ways to give because when you give online, here's what happens. You can be assured that what you give goes where you want it to be in a safe, accurate, and accountable way. It's just as safe as any other online transaction would be. We don't host that here. We don't keep track of your numbers, uh, uh, of your account numbers here either. And uh, along with that, what's, what's uh, uh, even more is that when you give online, uh, you limit the amount of time and exposure that our counters would have to spend here gathered together handling uh, mail, uh, cash, and checks uh, to, uh, to perform the count. And so that's the best way to give right now is online. And we understand that, that some people right now are financially impacted and can't do much giving at all. We understand. We're sensitive to that. We're not keeping score about what you can give. We know that you can give what you can, but others want to know the best way. That's the best way. Now, if you're not comfortable with giving online and you want to mail in a check or an envelope, that is totally fine. Please understand, I'm not telling you don't do that or that we shouldn't do that. Uh, if, if you feel it's best for you to write a check to send your envelope in uh, through the mail, we're totally glad to process that the same way that we would on Sundays. Um, dropping by probably isn't the best, like I said, but sending it, that in the mail is just fine. But when you go online, what you'll see is, is a when you click on that uh, donate button, you'll see that there is a, a web page there with a form. And there you can, you can uh, give as a guest or you could sign in, create an account, and create, set up a, a recurring online donation. And that way, it'll keep giving automatically even if you forget. You don't want to forget just because the plate's not being passed or you're not showing up here on a Sunday. So that is a, a, a great uh, feature of the online giving. Uh, also, uh, you, you can scroll down and you'll see that you can choose which fund. Sometimes there's designations, but for the most part, we just give to the general fund. You can select, you can input the exact dollar amount that you want to give, and then you can choose to give by an electronic check right from your bank account, or you might use a, a credit or debit card. It's up to you. It's your choice. Whatever you like, you can choose it, and we're glad to help you in any way. 
you know, we'll be glad to answer any other questions you have. If you're not sure about that and when you talk, want to talk to us a little bit more, be glad to answer any questions by getting a hold of us at the church office. And as always, thank you so much for your generous giving. So we rejoice because adversity actually advances God's purposes. But now there's another dilemma that we face, and especially in times of trouble. In, in crisis times, this becomes a real problem, and we see it all around us. You ready for it? Here's our, here's our problem. Here's our dilemma. Everyone is an expert at everything. I mean, what, you know, not only is everyone an expert on everyone else's problems, but some people are fully prepared to criticize you on every decision that you make uh, and provide their expert opinion on what you should have done instead. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, you make a decision and somebody hates it. Uh, you have an idea and somebody judges it. They criticize it. They offer a better idea. And then even Christian people root against you so that they can look better by comparison. You think, hey, we could worship at home this way? No, they say that's not a good idea. You got to do it this way. I could lead my family in devotions at home this way. No, you got to use this way to do these kinds of things. You, you want to show love to a neighbor by checking in on them or seeing if you can get some groceries. No, you can't do it that way. You have to do it this way. Everyone's got this idea and they're an expert at it. And right now, churches, we're being bombarded by all sorts of ideas and ministry resources that you just have to use right now during this time of crisis. And if you don't, you're missing the boat. You're not keeping up. And when this happens, it's just very easy to get distracted by all this criticism and defensive about all this criticism. You feel like nothing you do is good enough and you're not keeping up. And I know during this time where we've pivoted our church ministry a bit, everyone's chipped in and, and pulled through it together you know, really well. Um, but you never feel like you're doing enough. You never feel like you're keeping up with all of the ways that you could be communicating with people, putting resources out there, or meeting needs. And so now instead of seeing the blessings and rejoicing about what God is doing and what God has done, well, we're distracted. We're seeing the complaints and the criticisms about what you did or what you didn't do. And that is a recipe for discouragement. And Paul was familiar with, with criticism too. You don't live the life that Paul did without uh, in experiencing a fair bit of criticism. And so, of course, in Paul's world, there were plenty of people who, who did not like Christianity and wanted Paul to stop altogether. But that's not what we're talking about in this passage here in Philippians 1. Beyond that, there, there were other Christians who did not like Paul. They did not like what he was doing, and they wanted him to stop. They did not like the way he did ministry. They thought his ideas were bad. The way they thought the way he did things were, you know, was wrong, and that he had too much influence in the early church. They used his imprisonment to say, "See, if Paul's imprisoned, that means he's doing it wrong." They, they, there were some Christians. They, they actually wanted churches to listen to Paul less and to them more. They wanted churches to be less like what Paul was saying and more like what they were saying. They wanted all of the influence. But even in times like this, Paul still had God's purposes in mind. So this is how he responded in Philippians 1 verses 15 to 18. He said, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. 
The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. See, Paul, even with other Christians speaking out against him, he still had God's purposes in mind. It's like he was saying, rejoice. Criticism actually clarifies your motives. Paul looked at it this way. Some Christians were preaching the gospel. Remember, we're talking about brothers, Christians who are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, some Christians preach the gospel to elevate themselves uh, above Paul, uh, but they still preach Christ. Hey, Paul knew that there were other people. They preached the gospel because they wanted to join themselves together with, with Paul. But they still preached Christ. And so either of these cases, see, Paul, it wasn't what they thought of Paul that mattered most to him. What mattered most wasn't the method that they were using. And here he's saying it's not even always the motivation every time that people preach. What mattered to him right here in this moment was the message. What mattered was the message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what was the important part to him. God loves you. God wants you to be with him. And you know that you're not good enough. You know that you've messed up. You know that you've made decisions that were rebellious and sinful, sometimes on accident, but sometimes on purpose, by choice. But that's why Jesus came. Because Jesus could live the perfect life that we couldn't. Jesus could be the perfect sacrifice for sins that we couldn't be, that we could have forgiveness through Jesus Christ. The good news is that we can be saved forever and have a relationship with, with, with God and be forgiven when we trust him and believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that it's that and nothing else that we need in order to receive the, the gift of salvation. That's the message that mattered most to Paul and to us. Now, I always, I always wondered when I read this passage, does Paul seriously not care about Christians' motivations? I mean, I always thought the Bible had something to say about why we do what we do. Like, that matters, right? Yes, in fact, it does. And, in fact, Paul does care about the internal motivations of the people that he's speaking to. It's only like a page later in chapter 2, verse 3, that he says, do nothing from selfish ambition. There's, there's those words, selfish ambition, again, that we saw here in chapter 1. He says, do nothing about that. And then in chapter 2, he talks a lot about, you know, the humility, the humility of Jesus Christ, that we should have that same humble attitude, that we should consider other people more important than us and put them first. And so, yeah, uh, you know, our motivations do matter. But, you know, in this passage... It's like Paul saying, hey, I know there's Christians out there preaching the gospel, and it's true, but I know the reasons are bad. I know that they're doing it to elevate themselves you know, above me, and that's bad. They shouldn't do that. But as far as I'm concerned, Paul is saying, if the true gospel is being preached by true believers, then I'm happy, and I'm not going to let somebody else's feelings about me bring me down when the gospel is being preached. So we can, we can look at criticism through the same filter that Paul did. We can, we can share the same perspective that Paul used when looking at criticism in our own Christian lives. You can do what you do and say what you say 
in order to elevate yourself above other people, or you can do those things and say those things in order to elevate Christ above all of us. If you do those things to elevate yourself, well, that's bad. And it's bad because it's a bad reason, but also it's a problem because you'll always feel threatened. You'll never feel like you're doing enough. You'll always feel like someone's doing, someone else is doing a better job and you're not keeping up. But if you're living to honor Jesus, then no matter who's doing that, honoring him, you can rejoice. Even if people disagree about how to make Christ known in this world, but they're doing it, then he's being honored and we can rejoice. No matter who gets the credit, as long as Jesus is getting the most credit, well, then we rejoice. When Christ is your life, happiness happens because he is honored. Is Christ actually your life? Have you ever asked him to save you, to personally come into your life and save you from your sins? When you understand that you can't save yourself, uh, that only Jesus can, and that you can call on the Lord to be saved, for anyone who truly believes that Jesus died for me so that I could be with God, whoever, whoever says, I know I've done wrong and I can't save myself, but I know that Jesus died in my place, uh, I call on, on, on you, God, to save me, to forgive me. I believe in Jesus alone and his completed work on the cross and his resurrection. Come into my life, forgive my sins, change me, forgive me, take control of my life. The person who says that and truly believes that in their heart, the Lord promises they will be saved. Forever have a relationship with God our Father. If that's where you are right now, or you haven't done that, now is the time to click on that live prayer button or get a hold of, get a hold of us in some way because we certainly want to follow up with you. We'd love to have a little bit more conversation with you about what it means to truly be saved. And if that is already you, you have that relationship with Jesus Christ, you have to still keep asking yourself all the time, is Jesus my life? Is he what matters most? Is, is, is my focus his honor, his glory, his gospel. If it is, then happiness will follow. See, this may be the first time that the main point of one of my messages has been to feel the right feeling. Rejoice, have joy. But in this case, in this passage, and in these uncertain times, I think it's worth considering that the main point should be rejoice. Especially when looking in the book of Philippians, which is all about rejoicing. Paul was talking to a good, healthy, solid, and supportive church. He knew them very well, but he still wanted to tell them that while you're doing all these good things, rejoice in the Lord always. Don't forget to rejoice all the time in your Lord and Savior. And so Paul teaches us today what he taught them then. Even when adversity strikes and even when people criticize, there really is a joyful perspective on the present. When Christ is your life, happiness happens because he is honored. So we can be happy. Yes, we can be happy even today. But if having the right feeling uh, is, 
you know, not quite enough application, not quite enough to take with us from this morning. If that's not enough of a main idea, let me give you one more thought to chew on as we wrap things up. I, I, yeah, I do want you to be joyful about what God is doing in the world and that the gospel is being proclaimed and Jesus is being honored. But you also want to be a part of that work. And so here is the stay home task. It would normally be the take home task, but today it's the stay home task. Engage in gospel relationships from sincere love, no matter what. How is God using you in this moment of crisis? Some of us might be stuck at home, but I know a lot of us really are still engaging with an awful lot of people. And it might be out, outside of the house, maybe from a distance, but at stores or in neighborhoods. Uh, it, it could also be uh, that, you know, as we uh, serve in like the family resource center or, or making deliveries to people, we still engage with people a little bit. Other times you might be engaging with people remotely in online meetings uh, or from social media. But the point is, we can turn all those relationships into gospel relationships when we bring the love of Jesus into them. Whatever opportunity we get to interact with people, especially during this time, we can turn those relationships into gospel relationships when we share his love. It's not about changing people, convincing people, condemning people. It's, it's not about comparing people. It's about loving our neighbors as ourselves. God loves us, we love him, and we show that in our love for our neighbor, whoever we get to interact with. Jesus is not hindered, so we can engage in gospel relationships from sincere love, no matter what. Right now, I'm going to wrap up, so I'm going to pray in just a moment, but now's a good time. If you did want to pray with somebody, with one of our pastors, you hit that live prayer button uh, right now. Otherwise, you can, you can still greet each other with the chat that's on the screen. Uh, and, uh, and we're going to wrap up in, in prayer. I'm inviting you to stick around for a few minutes and greet each other on the way out or share anything that you'd like, and then we'll wrap up. Father, we're, we're grateful and we're joyful because of what Jesus has done in our lives and because we can stand whole and perfect in Jesus Christ before you. At the same time, we know that during uh, times of trouble, we need these reminders even more that good things are happening and so remind us uh, that uh, we get to play a part in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to be bold in our witness, even if that's not normally uh, who we are to share so boldly. We know that you give us power to do that. So help us in those ways. And Father, as we go and, and start another week of whatever new things we have to do, Lord, we do ask for joy because we know you're at work. Even if people don't get along, even if people have different ways of doing things, Father, we ask for joy because Christ is our lives and he's not hindered. Thank you for that. Let that be our message as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.